Well, good morning, church. Uh, my name is Matt, and I have had the privilege of being with you uh, prior to this, but it uh, is good to see you again. It's good to see uh, community thriving. It's good to see a church that is grounded upon the Word of God. Um, I really mean that. I, I am just uh, grateful uh, to, to be friends or have a relationship with Joel, but I just I encourage you um, to encourage him in the sense that uh, God has set a man with a passion and a heart for the Word of God in your midst, and um, that is not always the case, and so it is extremely uh, important that the foundation of the Word, right, is the first thing set for, the, for this place, but for the church, right, that is much larger throughout the world today, worshiping Christ, founded upon his words alone. And so when Joel called me, um, I was absolutely uh, excited to preach. I'm so grateful for the opportunity and those type of things. And I did say, okay, so where are we at? Well, we're doing a series in Genesis. Uh, oh, that's, that's exceptional. I said, what are you thinking? And he told me this. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I've probably known for three months now. Uh, he had laid this out. And uh, yeah, he said Genesis 3. And I kind of was... <laughs> I kind of was waiting for the, you know, 15 or, you know, what, you know, and I said, the whole chapter, he's, yes, and now, you know, okay, all right, that's, that's wonderful. So I already preach longer than normal, which uh, I've noticed actually on his last two messages, it's just been a little bit more, right, because it's, there's so much here, there's so much here. And I actually talked to my kids here recently, this might be a couple weeks ago, and they said something about the Word of God and asked basically a question of when will we know it all or, or when will we, and, and I said, that's the beauty of it, is that we can study this our entire lives, see the depth of our Creator, and then go to eternity to continue to find out the depths of who He is, and it will never be exhausted which is incredible. So, uh, so I do hope and trust that you have your Bibles with you here today. Genesis, of course, chapter 3, first book of the Bible, and I hope that it's open and there uh, before you. So let's just read uh, the whole chapter, and then we'll walk our way through as it stands. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. 
And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field on your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I am surely, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire will be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, because out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins, and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim, and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. The word of the Lord. So I was so thankful that Kurt gave a little bit of a synopsis. He gave just a little bit of a recap of where we are and where we are going. Uh, Joel has been attempting to make what he, what he has called short uh, summations of each of the chapters, um, which I kind of chuckled at that as well. But if I can make an effort to give the shortest of synopses to this chapter, it would be this. Sin exists. Humanity is damned by choice. But God provides a way. Sin exists. Humanity is damned by choice, but God provides the way. 
Leading up to this point, we are in the midst of a narrative that is absolutely beautiful. I mean, we have heard of this creator God who has given life, who has breathed the breath of life, as was already mentioned this morning. He has created in all that he can be and do because God took nothing and made something. He spoke and nothing listened and became something. This is the power of our creator God, right? He created. But not only in the midst of that, he created in the context of relationship. And this was chapter 2 when we looked and saw that God made man and woman. He created the relationship of husband and wife. And then as we are told even in this chapter, he is in relation with them as he comes to walk in the garden with them in the cool of the evening. But all of the characters that have been introduced so far We have all of creation in the sense of animals and all that God had made and Adam named. And then we have Adam, of course, and then he's asleep and then Eve is brought about. And of course, last week, the poem that was stated by Adam when he first saw his soon-to-be wife. And now we're introduced to the serpent. And what's unique about this in the narrative right now is that we're not told the backstory The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. So we're getting descriptive now about another portion of creation. And the next words may come across a little strange for the majority of those reading it, right? And he said, uh, uh, excuse me, What, what was that? The serpent was speaking. And there's a lot of things to be said in this, and I don't want to delve into the speculative things of uh, opinion, and Joel has even said this as well. He said it might be a little frustrating because you don't get a chance to hear of everything that these chapters are, are laying out. And as a side note, then take these things and dive deeper throughout the week, on your own, in community groups, in discipleship, This is just the beginnings of what you could be chewing on throughout the week. If you don't have daily devotions, take the sermon, start there, read through, ask questions of the text. And so here is a serpent who's speaking. Eve's response, we would think, would be, uh, come again? Excuse me? Or, and Eve ran away because it was the first time she heard an animal speak, right? Um, It's not what we hear. Lending to the fact that either... There might have been a prior conversation or the fact that it was known that this animal would speak. But either way, she steps into conversation and the serpent has a few things to say. I want you to notice a couple of things here about the serpent himself. See, the serpent is seen in the midst of the rest of the context of Scripture. If, if you take a portion of Scripture all on its own and kind of begin to ask questions of it, the very first place to go would be to the majority or the rest of Scripture itself, especially in between the New Testament and the Old Testament. Oftentimes you'll hear of the Old Testament just being old, of course, and oh, that's Old Covenant or that was pre-Christ. What we need to understand is the New Testament is extremely repetitious 
of the Old. It is in completion of what the Old Testament is. And actually, Revelation references this serpent as well and directly calls him Satan. It's not spoken here in this text, but throughout the majority of Scripture, we see that Satan is embodying a creation of God. Now the questions begin. Well, where did Satan come from? Or what does it mean that he's beginning to question God before Eve? And this would seem that there's the ability to be able to argue with God or disobey God or make another choice or... We're told that Satan himself was a spiritual being created in the midst of the heavenlies for God and for his glory. And yet, being able to deduce of what took place, Satan had a choice. He had a choice to be able to glorify his creator as a spiritual being or to rebel. And he chose rebellion because scripture says as well, and I'm not able to go to all references this morning, but scripture says that he sought after God. He wanted to be God. This leads to him being cast down. This leads to him being, if you will, excommunicated from the heavenlies. In this scenario, he's already on the scene. He's already there. Meaning, in the midst of creation, we have to come to grasp with something. In the midst of creation, we've been hearing that God made, God looked, and God said, it is good. Right? And all is good. In day seven, he rested. And yet, Satan, sin, disobedience to the Creator was possible. So many large-scale questions that either your children might ask, but you might as well, and it's those that you're driving in the minivan, right? And you're just, so, you know, Dad, and you're just, yeah, what's up, bud? You know, and, well, so why did God then make creation if he knew people were going to sin, right? And you're like, oh, there's Arby's. Let's get some food. Um, You know, buddy, uh, it's the heavy, large-scale questions that we ponder laying in bed at night sometimes as well, right? I heard it said once in the easiest of forms, in my opinion, is this. None of us understand fulfillment out of a relationship that is forced. True relationship, right? True friendship, true marriages, true relationship with our Creator isn't a relationship if it's forced. Chip Ingram once said that if you, had, if you were on a date with somebody that you really liked and wanted it to go well and wanted it to continue and they excused themselves to go to the restroom and someone stopped by and said, hey, listen, I noticed that you're just really enjoying your time. It seems that you're on a date. Hey, I have this pill and if you were to put it in their drink, then when they come back, they're gonna look at you and that'll be it. They will love you They will see you and just be infatuated with you, and it just will never end. 
And so you make this choice. You say, that's wonderful. Okay, great. And so you do that. They come back. They're infatuated. They love you. You get married. You're, you're 10, 20, 30 years into marriage, you know. Except for the fact that when you lay in your bed at night, you think, but did they really love me? Yeah, I mean, was it their choice? Because it was forced. God did not make you as a robot. He didn't make creation to forcibly give him glory because in doing so, it wouldn't truly be a glorification of the creator. This is we could park here all day long, okay? So this is why relationships are so hard because relationships require trust because there is a propensity for someone to walk out, for someone to harm the relationship, for someone to do something that hurts you or is against you even though they've said they're your friend, they are your brother or sister, they are your family, they are your husband or wife. And, and a sidebar to this entire chapter delves deeply into relationships. And of course, the relationship with our Creator first and foremost. So we were created, Imagio Dei, we were created in the image of God, and in doing so, He created us as relational beings because our God is a relational Creator. He is Father, Son, Holy Spirit in perfect harmony, but he embedded relationship in us, and in doing so, he gave us choice, and we're going to grapple with that much this morning. Notice, as another note, that Satan is unable to approach Eve in his own creative way. I just found that to be interesting that Satan actually has to embody something that God created just to be able to speak to Eve. It's because Satan can't create. It's because Satan is never as powerful as God. So he takes that which is and then manipulates. So he begins. He says to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Hmm. In the midst of today, we're going to bounce back and forth from the situation before us in Scripture right direct into our own daily lives. And I just ask you allow the Spirit to work in the midst of His Word as He also works in the midst of your heart. Did God actually say? We're told that the serpent is crafty or cunning, right? This can be spoken of in an approving manner or in a very negative manner. And of course, I know we see that this is extremely negative here. But see, when he approaches the woman, he has strategy. And his strategy looks all too familiar to us. And here's something that I want to say this morning, not in a boastful sense to our own might, 
but I want to remind you of some things. Satan can be known. His strategies and his ways of which he approaches and he tempts and he asks us, we can be wise enough to know where he's going. We can see his steps before he even begins to go there. How do I know this? Well, because New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, we're reminded that we actually have the option to not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs, of his plans. So we're reminded, hey, this doesn't have to have a foregone conclusion or outcome that we think think it does. Did God actually say? This is the first part of Satan's strategy. He questions. Not in a sense of wanting to know something deeper, not like we would, not like, oh, why would God do this? Or as we de- you know, delve into the word this morning, no. He's questioning in the sense that he wants to argue. Eve, did God really say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Do you notice what he did? Did he quote God? Did he say the exact words of the creator? No. No, see, he posits in her mind question. He says, well, well he really said you couldn't eat of any tree. Did he, did he say that? And all of a sudden, Confusion sets in. Well, what did he? Well, yeah, no. Eve says, no, he, he didn't say that. The woman responds to the serpent and says, no, God said we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you t- touch it lest you die. Well, Eve does a couple of things here, and I think we do the same in response. Satan posits a question. And these thoughts, this temptation, these things can come to mind anytime. In fact, even in most instances or a lot of instances in the most random of times, do they not? Things are going well, you're going about your day, everything's all right, right? And I, some of us keep checklists of how our day are going and, you know, we've got this done, we've got that done. Or maybe you just feel that you've had a good uh, day in relation to God and to others and those type of things and you're driving in the car and all of a sudden it hits. Temptation is there. It's, it's subtle. Oh, it's so subtle. And in fact, you might, not even, you might not even park on it for a while. You might not even stay there, but it's just a thought that's kind of a blip. Hmm. Okay, well, that was weird. Yeah, anyways, and you begin to move on. But it's the slightest of, did God say? You're not really satisfied, are you? Eve says something very telling. First off, she says, well, no, God said we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. She leaves something out. God said, you may eat of any tree, of all the trees. Look at what I have done. Look at what I have created. Look at everything that I have given you as a loving creator. You can have it all, but this tree here. But she actually miss 
quotes God by saying, well, he said we could eat of the trees. She doesn't focus on the positive things that God has given her. And you can already see the little bit of steps towards the cliff that Eve is taking as she doesn't focus on all that God has given her because Satan's goal is to draw her into the perception of what God hasn't given. Because Satan's goal is to drive you to discontentedness and specifically discontentedness with God. Then she adds to God's word. So she doesn't remember God's word fully. She doesn't focus on the positive things of what God has said. She hasn't said, well, all the trees, look at, she could have turned and said, well, look at this. Look at everything that he has given to us. No, she's turned and she's focused on one tree. You ever think what's interesting is the fact that she was close to that tree as well? This whole conversation goes down and then she is able to take and eat. Doesn't say then she ventured across the garden or then she went. No, she's right there. Oftentimes we need to be extremely careful because where we go, we need to be wise enough to recognize the spaces and places that Satan is going to speak to us. And, and oh, we know when we're doing it. We know when we're on our way. We know when we're walking close to the tree. And then all of a sudden, as if somehow innocently, you say, well, how did I get here? Oh, well, look at this. Here's the tree. Here's the tree that God said that I, I really can't take or have or eat. And then the serpent speaks. Eve adds and says, or touch it. God never said that. God never said anything about touching the fruit or touching the tree. He didn't say anything at all, but you, again, see the progression of her. She's thinking about touching it. Well, he didn't say we should eat it or touch it or anything. It's working its way. Lest you die. To continue, the serpent then says to the woman, well, you shall surely not die. Now he's progressed. See, he goes from questioning to accusing. Now Satan has built his argument up enough. She's in conversation with him enough that now he's going to take the bold step to argue directly with what God has said. Did God really say, well, no, he, he said this. Now we're confused. Now we're... Well, he said not to touch it or, you know, and then he says, no, 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 you, you surely won't die. And she's listening. She's given ear enough that now when God is directly defied, she isn't calling it out. One of the things that you can do this week in your time of study is take a look at this narrative of temptation and then go to Jesus in the wilderness when Satan tempted him. Well, more on that in just a moment. So he directly defies the word of God. No, you, you're not going to die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and here it is, and you will be 
like him. There's the, there's the sweetening of the words. You will be like God, and you'll just know good and evil. And this is the next step. And Satan accuses God or defies him. Then Satan loves to lessen and cheapen the words of God. You ever find yourself in this way? You're dealing with something in your life. You're struggling. Something is there. Your conscience is speaking to you, but it's the spirit as well. You're not quite able to tell because there's something that you're actively doing and are pursuing in your life, and you're not sure if it's healthy. Better yet, you're not sure if it glorifies the Lord. But as you look into things or as you see it, Scripture doesn't directly state anything about it. Scripture doesn't directly state, right, you should not watch bad movies on Netflix or something of the sort. You know what I mean? Well, it doesn't mention Netflix in there. So, I mean, therefore, the Scripture doesn't mention Netflix. By the way, an argument from silence is very weak, but that's besides the point. The moment that you begin those type of questions is the moment that you are beginning to question the Word of God. It's a dangerous place to be when you start having to semantically stretch some words or look into the pauses and the gaps and say, well, it doesn't specifically... Where's your heart in that moment? This is so hard because this touches on everything in our lives, does it not? This literally can begin to be spoken of your words, your relationships, what you spend your time in doing, what you are intaking, what you're watching, what you're listening to, then what you're saying. What it, it, it invades and it's uncomfortable. The Word of God at first to the sinful heart is offensive because it's directing you where you should go. And the end of the chapter speaks that. So we're going to end up taking a few hop, skips, and jumps here, but what we see the ways of Satan. He says, you shall surely not die, for when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, you will be like God. Now what is he playing on? Here's what he's playing on. He's playing on pride. The temptation of what it means to elevate oneself. This is someone who is walking with God in pure relationship of everything that is good. I don't even know if we can comprehend. We can't. I, I honestly don't think we can even begin to comprehend what Adam and Eve had as a pure relationship of goodness with their creator. And yet Satan is able to tantalize and speak to her that she could somehow have something better. What could be better? What could be better? as we here this morning are in worship with the Holy Spirit and as we're praising and glorifying our Creator and in those moments we think, this is, this is wonderful. 
this is incredible. This glimpse of what I am seeing at this moment today is pure. It's right. It's, it's where I want to be. And then we walk out the door. And then we're driving home. And then the voice comes. And then the tempter tempts. And then did God say? Isn't it frustrating? Isn't it frustrating as we peer into this with Eve? You ever think like, it's just fruit. Like we all think of an apple because, you know, that's the fruit that's normally painted in paintings of guys that we're just speculating. But, you know, you think you're just like, it's eating fruit. I mean, really? Come on. Like, wasn't there a grocery store in the Garden of Eden? Like, and just, you know, it's, it seems laughable until you look in, until you begin to assess your thoughts, your mind, what you think of others, what you think in the given day, and the darkness of your own soul. So what does Eve do? So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, this, this harkens unto the fact that she might have never looked at this tree to this detail ever before. Now she's noticing more things about it. Well, I mean, it does look good. And that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise. She took its fruit and ate. Hmm. Those words. And she also gave some to her husband. Catch these words. Who was with her? Uh, Come again. Who was what? Like, who was with her? What on earth is Adam doing at this moment? Really? Ladies, you probably have had some of these experiences on a much minor detail, but you're in the midst of conversation or with other people in a social setting, and you say something, and you look over at your husband, and he is not there. <laughs> He's physically there, and you're like, you know, honey, like, huh, huh, you know, right? What is... Where are you? What is, but, but this question is asked. I mean, multiple commentators truly believe that this is true, that Adam was literally with her in observation of this entire thing, and we hear nothing from the man. And oh man, we could go. We could just... How often do family struggles persist because fathers and husbands, I'm speaking to myself here, men, do not stand up and say something. Who don't step in. Who don't take upon themselves any sense of leadership that God has given them to say, lead this family in the ways that I have shown you. Adam is silent. And he eats. We'll find out soon that God actually then turns and looks at Adam for all of this. And by the end of the chapter, we're actually reading words like, and God banished him, and God banished Adam out of the garden. And you're kind of like, wow, there was a few other parties involved in this, but he represents us. And Hebrews has much to say about this as well. But he is the first man. He represents humanity. And he ate. What occurs? The eyes of both of them were opened. They knew that they were naked. And this 
shame washes over them. Shame. For the first time in all of creation, do you think of the schism that occurred? God the Father as He is and observing what is taking place, knowing what is happening, heartbreaking for His creation, making the choice to disobey, to usher sin onto the scene of humanity and shame. Oh, we know this. We know this in the exact moments of when we say the words out of our own mouth. And as the words are taking out of our mouth or going out of our mouths, we're literally thinking, why am I saying this right now? What did I just do? We actively make a choice. We say something. We do something, whatever it might be, that is against our known father. And then it's just shame. Because Satan has had his way. He has tempted, he has spoke, he has questioned, he has then completely argued with God. Then he has pricked the pride of humanity to state that we could be better than what we actually are in Christ. And now we make the decision. That's a long road, first off. It's a long walk to eating the fruit. And so in their shame, they noticed that they were naked. God had made them in perfection. There was not need of clothes. It's something that we literally can't even begin to fathom because we're on this side of the tree. We're on this side of the fall. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths already. The creation of God in its perfection is having to be covered is having to be hidden. And then they heard the sound of the Lord. Kids, you totally get this one because I know that you've either done something, broke something, wrote on something, you name it, and all of a sudden you hear your mom or dad. You know what I'm talking about? And you're like, and you know, and it's, and it's, I, uh, it's, let's get this away real quick. I don't know. I don't really know. Or you're watching TV. You're not supposed to. You know, it's like your parent walks in. Hey, what's up there, mom? What are you doing? Just sitting on the couch. Oh, that's cool because you never just sit ever. Oh, we can talk about. But the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day for just a moment, once again, God is present. But keep in mind this, that Jesus said before Moses was, I am. Because what's unique about Eve listening to the serpent is that you do need to understand she had a relationship with her creator who is God the Father in spirit. And those who worship him, worship him in spirit and truth, right? We're told this. So God being spirit had a relationship with Adam and Eve, which may give a little better context to why she didn't think it was that weird that the serpent was speaking to her. But why do I mention the triune God at this moment? Because you might say, well, God's spirit, how could he be walking? Because Christ, because Jesus, because this person of the Trinity was, that's why. And the ultimate visible representation of the invisible God was in perfect harmonious relationship with his people. And they marred it. They rent 
the relationship and God comes down. 48 seconds? Joking me. So they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Mm. And so the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? Now, it might be rather interesting to us, right? Because why would God ask that question? Would God knows all things, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Did God know where they were? Absolutely. But once again, back to the parent-child relationship. Parents, you'll completely get this. Completely get this. You walk in and speak to your kids after something has been done or you come upon a scene and clearly something has been broken and it's, guys, come in here, right? Now, who was in this room? Or maybe your child is in there and you already know who did it and you'd say to them, so were you playing with something you shouldn't have been? You know, and you, you, you what you do is you condescend to their level. You come down upon their level because what you're attempting to do is to instruct them. You're trying to get them to cognitively process the fact that they were doing something that they had been told they weren't to do. And the outcome occurred that you knew would happen if they were to do what you told them not to do. There's only one of my children sitting up here right now, buddy, so I'm not going to pick on you. If all four were here, oh, mercy. (laughs) Things are just flooding into my mind right now. I have amazing kids. My son woke up this morning. It's a total side note to everything. So <clears throat> I work on a farm, and I don't typically do this, but um, no, nobody was able to um, do walkthroughs. Uh, it's a chicken farm for eggs. Nobody was able to do the walkthroughs and all this stuff. So my son Jackson and I woke up this morning, and Jackson did all the walkthroughs of all the barns, which is 100,000 chickens. And he took care of all that before church this morning, so I really appreciate that. But just so we could be here on time. But as parents, we know exactly what God is doing. God says to them, where are you? And then, of course, Adam says, well, I heard you, and I hid. For the first time upon this relationship of God condescending, God coming down into the garden, they ran. They ran from the one who breathed the breath of life into them. They ran from the one who formed them. They ran from the one who created all things for them and set them as the pinnacle so that they could govern and watch over his creation and be fruitful and multiply and all these things that we've already discussed in chapters 1 and 2. And they ran from him. Naked, ashamed, and running. This is the condition of humanity away and apart from God. So then God continues to ask. He says, I hid myself, right? And he said, well, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And then the man says, well, the woman that you gave me. Excuse me? This would be the moment, parents, when you would be like, you do not get to talk to me like that with that tone. <laughs> well, the woman, not just, not just the woman, not just deferring to her, but then ultimately saying, the woman that you decided to give me, Lord. And here's where conviction begins to set in. And when conviction of sin begins to set in, we get defensive extremely. We begin, 
in our defense to justify. Well, this wouldn't have occurred if I wouldn't have had this relationship if you wouldn't have created her. Weren't you just singing a poem about this? Well, yeah. Eve, what about you? Well, the serpent, the serpent deceived me. Hmm. And see, it's the unrepentant heart that wants to place blame at the feet of everything and everyone else in sin but yourself. Confession and repentance, probably two of the hardest things in the Christian walk. Somewhere it says, confess, confess your sins one to another. So the Lord then says to the serpent, now here we go, God is now pronouncing judgment. Because see, what we have to understand is there's consequence, there's wages, something has to occur in the midst of sin and the schism of all humanity. There has to be consequence. Parents, there has to be consequence. I had a wise man sit down in front of my desk when, I had my, when, when Jackson was born, 11, soon to be 12 years ago, and he said to me, listen, I just want to talk to you for a minute about disciplining your children. I was like, well, this is going to be fun. So, okay, and amidst the whole conversation, he says to me, you know, don't embarrass your children. Um, I never try to spank my kids in front of anyone. Uh, take them into a place where they can understand. Speak with them. Help them to understand why this is occurring. And he looked right at me, and he said, and make it hurt. And I just, you know, kind of like sat back in my chair. And he's like, understand what I'm saying here. He says, I'm not about abusing children. I'm not about hitting children, all these type of things. I think he went to the, to the fact of being like, you just hit him in the butt, nowhere else, you know, or something like that. But he looked right at me. He said, if it doesn't hurt, how are they going to begin to understand that they've done something wrong? That there's true consequence to their sin. The consequences of sin literally here go so deep that we don't even have the time. There's brokenness of relationship. And see, one of the things that Satan wants to do when he speaks to you, and this comes right to the table for all of us this morning, is that the sin in our lives is never done in a vacuum. Meaning, I'm not talking vacuum that you sweep the floor with, okay, okay, I'm talking about the fact that it's never done alone. Satan wants to try to convince you that when you do something, you're only going to be, well, you're going to be the only person to receive those consequences. But see, just like this sin and this schism affected all of humanity, you need to understand that your sin is done not only against God, but against your brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. When you sin, you sin against the body of Christ. And you might think it's not affecting you, it's absolutely affecting you. My example of this is personal. My example of this is that I was steeped in sin in college and I was lying to myself as Satan was lying to me and I thought that it wasn't affecting anyone else. 
So I had a friend who was a true friend because he was trying to get me up for class because class was about to start. And so he was trying to wake me up and he was shaking me and all this type of things. And the next thing I know, I'm out my, my room, out the door, and I have my friend up against the wall in the hallway. And he's looking at me like, what? And I just began, I just, I, I let go, I ripped the jersey he was wearing. It was from New York, and I ended up getting a new one of those, but that's besides the point. And I just began to think, what am I doing? Because it was internal, but it was destroying me, therefore destroying every relationship that I had. And of course, including the relationship that I had with my father. God says to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all beasts of the field. God says to the serpent, you are cursed. On your belly you will go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Then he steps and says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. offspring. Do you realize that he's, he's not talking to just a serpent at this moment, right? We've now gone from the actual creation now to who is within or behind the scenario, which is Satan. And he has said, there will be enmity between her offspring and yours. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. More on that in just a second. Then he turns to the woman. He says, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. And in pain you shall put forth children. Your desire will be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he says, and think about Adam and Eve at this moment. They've watched God curse the serpent, cursed him to the ground, cursed him to eat dust, cursed him to this enmity that will always be. And then he turns to Adam and Eve. And it's almost this wincing moment where if you think, what's he going to, what's my curse going to be? Here it is. I have to receive the outcome of my choice, my sin. But I want you to note something very specifically. He says to the serpent, cursed are you to the ground. He says to Adam and Eve, these are consequences of your sin in childbearing, in relational disharmony, in brokenness between husband and wife, and cursed is the ground because of you, Adam. Note something. He does not directly curse Adam and Eve. And that's, that's an amen. That's, that's a point when you begin to realize that God is condemning, God is cursing, and consequences are there. Yet, the ground is cursed. Thorns and thistles, everything that shall bring forth, plants, etc. But by the sweat of your brow, that is how you're going to live. That is how you're going to eat. Oh, and by the way, you're going to return back to the dust because from dust you came and from dust you shall return because death is now on the scene. Now, here's what's interesting, and this is literally going to be the closed church this morning because we've got we've to 
We have to put this to rest this morning, even though there's so much more here. So one thing we need to understand is that this morning has been about a choice all surrounding a tree. One thing we need to understand is that there is absolute condemnation and consequence for sin. And Romans speaks towards this and says that the wages of sin is death. We have record of the first death that took place in all of scripture here, and God actually kills to be able to make skins for Adam and Eve, foreshadowing a sacrificial system that would need to take place because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, there's no forgiveness of sin. And this is a long trail then of bloodshed that would not just be for sacrifice, but be bloodshed that starts with Cain and Abel and you will continue from there all the way to another tree. See, but this tree had been cut down. This tree actually was made into the shape and to the form of a cross. And although this tree no longer could bear fruit on its own like it was intended, that tree bore the greatest fruit of all of time because it bore the fruit of forgiveness. It bore the fruit of Christ. Christ on that tree received the curse that Adam and Eve should have been given. Because he said to the serpent and to the woman, there will be offspring here, but notice he says, but he will crush your head. Jesus singular, offspring plural, Jesus singular will crush your head. And the fruit of that tree will be the only way made available for humanity to be back in right relationship with me because ever since this moment, God's desire has been to get back to the garden. If you ever noticed, the tabernacle itself was set up like the Garden of Eden. God's desire to commune with you today comes through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Because see, Satan stood at a tree and he said, take, eat. And then Jesus sat amongst his disciples on the night before he was betrayed and he took bread and he took the cup and he looked amongst them and said, take, eat, this is my body, broken for you, poured out for you. That as you took that fruit in the beginning of time that tore apart the relationship I have with you, I give you myself. There is no other God that has done this. There is no religion on this earth that has a sacrificial king who is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And as we know that death, that death paid the true penalty for the sin that we see here. Because all wrapped up into one chapter, we find the sin of man and woman, and we find the grace of God. Why? Because he didn't have them eat of the tree of life. See, banishment from the garden was actually grace because he knew that Jesus was coming. He would walk on this earth again just as he did in the cool of the evening, but he would do so as a servant. 
And that free gift of grace is offered today to everyone here. That if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that he rose from the grave in defeat of death and you confess with your mouth, then you will be saved. This is the gospel. And in the face of it all, we find our hope. Let's pray. Father, the emotions are stirred to which we begin to understand what you have done for us once again. That even in the face of sin that is represented here today in myself, in my brothers and sisters, and in those who might not know you today, that you are able to look that sin in the eye from Satan and that you are able to defeat it that you are able to free us from the shackles and the chains. And as we speak along with Paul in Romans 7, that we get so frustrated at times. Although we do the things that we don't want to do, we don't want to sin, and yet we do sin. Why? Who will save us from this flesh, this life of death? Well, Lord, praise be to you who has provided a way through Jesus Christ our Lord. May salvation be known in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.